If I tell you that I want to share with you some things out of the story of a man who was asleep in a boat in the middle of the storm, who do you think I'm going to preach about? Of course it's going to be Jesus, right? Everybody knows. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. His disciples had to wake him up. Master, don't you care if we die? And Jesus gets up almost angry, like, what are you waking me up for? Are you kidding me? For a storm, that's it? Oh, be quiet. He said, peace, be still. That's much more eloquent. And the Brooklyn translates, oh, shut up. And then he went back to sleep. And he silenced the storm. And it's a great message, right? It's a great truth about when you have the peace of God in your heart and you know that nothing can prevent you from getting to that destination. You can sleep right through the storm. There's no way the boat's going down because God's with you and you have a purpose that he prophesied. But there's somebody else very famous who was asleep in the middle of a storm. And it was not because he was at peace with God. It was because he was fleeing from the presence of God. And all you Bible people already know where I'm going. This man, it says in the book named after him, the sailors in the middle of the storm became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship. He'd lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. A prophet needed to be awakened so that he could use the presence of God, the authority that he carried, to rescue a bunch of pagans who had no idea who this God was. Jonah is the prophet sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm. And I feel like the Lord showed me that in many ways the church, and I don't, you know, I don't often preach a word that's for the body of Christ, but every once in a while, because I'm a pastor, right? I do prophesy and I do, you know, I, I do see things, but mainly they're about us. Mainly they're about our ministry. But this was one, as I've been praying for our nation, and once the leak of the Supreme Court decision happened, I've been praying for the church that we'd be alive and awake. We've been praying that all year. We had some words at the beginning of the year about awake sleeper, and, and the Lord's really been speaking to us about be awake be alert watch be sober in this hour not because of what the enemy is doing but because of what jesus is doing and you don't want to miss out on what he's doing but here's a prophet and he's sleeping in the boat we can sleep in a storm knowing that god has everything in hand as jesus did we can rest we can be assured we can go about our life And there is a peace that goes beyond understanding after we've submitted everything by prayer and supplication to him. That peace uh, that passes understanding can be our portion. So we're not talking about anxiety. There is a peace where you could sleep in the middle of turmoil. You can sleep in the middle of the war and rest in peace. You can know that God's got it all under control. That's not the sleep that Jonah was experiencing. There's also a fact that we can sleep in a storm because our spirit is overwhelmed within us. If you've ever struggled with depression, and I mean like the intense kind of depression where for days or weeks or months on end, you just, you just can't do anything, you feel this overwhelming tired. You know the tired you feel after you have a good cry? Like when you lose something you love and you're in grief and you just sob, hard cry, until you, you just can't cry anymore. What's the next thing you do? If you can, if you don't have a two-year-old tugging at you, you sleep because you're just so exhausted. The, the most exhausted, exhausted 
is emotional exhausted. When you've poured your heart out, you know, if you've ever been with somebody for like inner healing or somebody who's really helping you work through some really intense things and it digs up something from deep in your soul, after you're done pouring out your heart and you're done crying, boy, that, that sleep, man, you, you, you can't wake somebody up. Now, I'm a hard sleeper anyway. I grew up away, a block away from a New York City firehouse. And I, I slept through an earthquake. My, I mean, my wife's like, I'm going to have to be the, the family's fire alarm because you'll sleep right through it. You'll wake up and be like, where's my house? You know, it's, so I sleep hard anyway, but when you're emotionally exhausted, you sleep heavy. That's the kind of sleep Jonah was experiencing. I'll, ex- I'll explain why, because it's pretty clear in the book. David wrote, David experienced grief. If you want to understand emotions, read the Psalms. Read David's journal to God. Read the things that David experienced and wrote down for all time because there is no human experience and no human emotion that David didn't experience. And, and he wrote in, in, his, in Psalm 142, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. You knew my path. How many know it's one thing to have a path of righteousness, walking with God when the sun's shining, when we're in the will of God, when we're being blessed. There might be some problems, but you know how you can usually, there's some problems you can handle them if they only came one at a time, but when they come 20 at a time, it's overwhelming. And then David's got somebody chasing him down to kill him with the best of the best of Israel's army to boot. I mean, there's that. But David had this, and he said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. Our path where we're really walking how close we're really walking with the Lord gets revealed when our spirit gets overwhelmed within us. Those moments that the voice inside of us is saying, you should just pack it in right now and go home. When that voice inside of us is saying, it's so scary out there, just don't go out the door again. Don't open your heart to another relationship. Definitely don't put your heart out there for the world to see. Don't risk it again in that. That's, that's that voice that wants to come over us. And, and when... The, the path we choose when our spirit gets overwhelmed reveals far more about our closeness to God than the most exuberant praise that we have to offer. God loves our praise, right? He inhabits our praise. His dwelling place in the earth happens when the mouths of his people begin to open in praise. We literally, the church is described, Ephesians 2, that we are a dwelling place of God in the spirit. He loves our praise and it's awesome to praise. It's even awesomer to praise when there's a storm blowing all around us. That's the awesomest thing. Praise when you're in prison, shackled to a wall. And maybe you'll get the jailhouse rock like Paul did. You know, you, you, we, he loves our praise. But, but our praise when everything's going well, God loves it. <clears throat> but that doesn't reveal what our path is. Our path and who we're walking closely with is best revealed when the world falls apart around us. When, when our spirit was overwhelmed within us. So why was Jonah experiencing that kind of sorrow? Well, you know what God called him to do. He said, get up, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them. And God said, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now you would think, as a prophet, that's like a dream. Prophets love to tell, hey man, you gotta turn, you gotta repent. Repent is the most common word used in all the prophet books. That's the most common word, repent, which simply means turn around. The direction you're going, the bridge is out. You got a little bit of time before you turn around. If you don't turn around, you're going off the bridge and down into the ravine below. That's prophets. Prophets love to cry out. But the problem was Nineveh. Nineveh in Jonah's day was the enemy of God's people. Nineveh, they had 10 more years from the time of Jonah and Assyria was going to invade Israel. 
and take away the ten tribes, not Judah yet, the ten tribes captive and pull them away. Assyria was a, I mean, if you look and study the gods that they worshipped, they were some of the most brutal pagan gods that have ever been worshipped. They were the inventors, most historians believe, the inventors of that whole thing where after you defeat your enemy, you cut off their heads and put them on a spear, put them lined up on the streets of their city on spears to terrify everybody. They were terrorists. They were an absolute, if ever a nation was demonic, Assyria in Jonah's day was demonic. I mean, VeggieTales tried to make it cute and they slapped each other with fishes. I'm just checking out which parents we got that watch VeggieTales. All right. But they're, they're an awful demonic people. So by this point in time, they'd already done all kinds of damage. If we were writing a backstory for Jonah, which we don't know, the book picks up literally in the Hebrew, the first word of the book of Jonah is and. Some people believe that there's another part of the book. Like maybe Jonah had more prophecy before this story. Um, we don't know. It just picks up. Like you're stepping into his story at this worst moment of his life. Because God told him, I want you to go and preach to people that you hate. I want you to go and preach to people that you're offended with. I want you to go to the nation that has your sworn enemy who at any moment, if they had their way, they would invade your cities and your head would be on one of those spears outside of town. And God said, I want you to go and cry out against them. Just you, not sending you out two by two. Go, Jonah, and preach to those people. Jonah very passive-aggressively didn't say no to God, right? You heard last week, um, Todd so well preached about Moses. Moses at least had the chutzpah to say, no, I'm not going. Now, God didn't take no for an answer. God also didn't take Jonah's no for an answer, as you know. I know you know the story. He doesn't take no for an answer sometimes. Sometimes, God just doesn't take no for an answer. If you believe that, oh, well, if I don't do this, God will raise somebody else up to do it, I want to tell you that you are setting a course for a dangerous path. When the Lord says go, it's just a dumb idea to say no. When the Lord says no, don't say no. I didn't say that right. See that? I tried to do it like a preacher and then I messed it up. When the Lord says go, you don't say no. You go. You got to go. When the Lord says it, well, what kept Jonah from going? The Lord spoke to me weeks ago. I shared it with the pre-service prayer group that there are some in the body of Christ who are not going to minister the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, who are not extending the love of God and the mercy of God because we're offended at the ones that he wants to send us to. And that was Jonah. I'll go anywhere. I'll go tell my people, my tribe, I'll go all over Israel and tell them. I mean, look, Israel at that time was not in a good place. They were worshiping idols. They had high places, astropoles. They were doing all kinds of demonic stuff. Even Baal worship was making a comeback in Israel in this time. And Jonah was like, I'll be happy to go to Israel, the chosen people, but not those Ninevites, not those, those horrible Gentile Ninevites. There's no way that I'm going to that place. And so passive-aggressively got on a boat. But here's where the scripture, and many people believe Jonah wrote this story himself, I I think I agree with that. We don't know. But it gives a lot of internal detail, and here's one of them. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He didn't just flee from the call of God. He knew if God said go north, and I get on this boat to Tarshish, which is the ends of the earth. Tarshish was in the Straits of Gibraltar, the edge of Spain, 
Past that, nobody had really explored. There were no maps past the Mediterranean. Nobody had gone out into the Atlantic to see what there was out there yet. They, they didn't exist. That was literally the ends of the earth. And, and Jonah did a, a I, I gotta get out of this place. And he made a calculated decision, knowing as a prophet, he knew God. He knew if I don't go north where God's going right now, I'm not fleeing his call, I'm fleeing his presence. See, he maybe hadn't read David's psalm yet, where can I hide from your presence? Or maybe he just ignored that little bit. Or maybe they didn't put that part in the book for him yet, I don't know. But he thought, all I gotta do is get on a boat and go as far away as I can from Israel, from the Holy Land, and then I'll be away from God's presence and he'll stop nagging me about this Nineveh thing. Because you understand, all of you who have experienced a little bit of a call of God, how many of you know he doesn't just come one time? It's not like one time a prophet or a prophecy will come and say, hey, you're supposed to go to this place, minister to these people. He's, he knows how to stay on it. He knows how to nag worse than a Jewish mother. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're clearly not a Jew. They're persistent. He knows how to nag all right, better than a three-year-old wanting dessert before dinner. Is that a better analogy? He knows how to keep on us. He stays on. He's persistent. You can't out-stubborn God. I, I tried, I, I was about to say I've long since given up on it, but I have to admit I've still done it a couple times. I'm preaching a message, you understand it comes from life experience here. This isn't some pastor theorizing about, oh, I've heard that some people sometimes don't do what God said right away, and they argue with God about what he just said to do. We're all in good company. <laughs> he went up, he went, or he went down to Joppa, found a ship, which was going to Tarshish. I love that it was Joppa. Do you remember another famous man who was sent to go to the Gentiles, who was struggling with the idea of interacting with Gentiles, who went to a place called Joppa? Peter was in Joppa when he had that crazy vision of the, the unclean animals on the roof. He was in Joppa, which is right where Nineveh, where the ship was sailing for Nineveh. It seems like the place where prophets got to get their heart right about going to the unclean Gentiles, going to people that you'd prefer not to go to. So he's in this place, he gets on a ship, and he said, all right, good. I was about to say, he said, praise God, I can get away from God now, but I don't think he was saying praise God. And he was saying, shoo, now I can escape the call of God, maybe somebody else will do what God said. So he paid his fare, he went down to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It is impossible to preach a gospel of mercy when we're offended at those to whom God's sending us. If the good news is God loves you, the good news is not you're a horrible person and you better repent, that's not good news. The good news is if you are awakened to the reality of sin in your life, I got good news for you. There's a cross, and the one who died on that cross has already made a way so that you could go through a veil that used to separate you from God. He tore that thing right in two with his own flesh on the cross, and now the mercy seat's wide open. Can't you see it? There's the mercy seat. All that shame you're carrying, the shame of Steve who paid for his girlfriend's abortion, right there hanging on that cross already, just waiting for me to go and grab it from the mercy seat. That's good news. But how many of you know you can't share good news with somebody you're offended with? Have you ever tried it? You ever get offended with your husband or wife? That's the best scenario for being offended because that's all marital conflict. All relational conflict is I'm offended with you and I'm gonna punish you somehow for what you did. Silent treatment or yell at you or do something, but I'm certainly not gonna share good news with you. 
right now. You don't want to share good news with somebody you're offended with. So when we're offended, we forget that mercy already triumphed over judgment. We forget that God's favorite response to sin is not judgment. He didn't create hell, the lake of fire, for people. Jesus, I'm so glad Jesus just threw that into the parable, the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So you got a choice. What ship do you want to get on? There's this one ship that's heading for the lake of fire. You join with the devil and his angels, and you made your choice. You got on that ship with them. But that's not the good news. The good news is life and that more abundantly. That mercy triumphed over judgment. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, so he died for that same sinner I'm offended with right now before they repented. That's good news. That's good news. I believe it's a day that we've got to just get on our face before God and be honest about who is it that I'm offended with right now. I know there's plenty of opportunity for it right now if you just watch the news five minutes. That's why I keep away from that stuff. I don't want, I don't want that news. I want to know what's going on, but I don't want the news. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear what happened, not your opinion about what happened. And I don't want you to just keep putting these angry faces in front of me. Because you, you know the thing that you used to be bound by, you get most easily offended by when you see it later on? Do you know what I mean? Something rises up in you. Like if you used to be addicted, for example, that drug, when you meet somebody or you come around that scene again, something in you just rises up. And we gotta be really careful to keep it in the righteous indignation and not the realm of fleshly offense. Right, because the anger of man doesn't avail anything. It doesn't bring the righteousness of God. So mercy has triumphed over judgment. So we, we look at these angry faces in front of us right now. I had to do this just yesterday as if the Lord were testing me to see if I'm ready to preach this word. Because a friend of mine I saw, I, I don't really go deep in the news feed on Facebook. I get on it like to look at what's going on in our group here at Hillside and connect with some of my friends in Africa and stuff like that. But I don't really do a whole lot on Facebook. But I see whatever the first two or three things are on my news feed. And I don't know why Facebook thought I was interested in this. But a friend of mine, and I do still consider her a friend, posted about how upset she was about the Supreme Court opinion and hopes that God will judge the unrighteousness of the judges who overturned Roe v. Wade. I gotta tell you something really, she was one of those friends I made and for 10 years, neither of us knew our political leanings. We just talked about Christ. I was, I was ministering and she received it and we talked about Christ and she's from New York so naturally we hit it off and I like the way she talks. I try not to pick up the accent when I talk with her but you know we have this sweet fellowship in Christ going on and then one day I found out where she stood or she found out where I stood and about cussed me out. So, you know, it created a bit of a, a love gap. Like, uh, I'm going to have to contend for this relationship right now. And I've been grieved over some of the things that she said and posted. But this one really got me, really got me close. And I had this wrestling match with the Lord then. Because you know that offense is a choice. You know that, right? We don't need to be offended. Just because somebody behaves offensively doesn't give us the right to become offended. Right? We are the community of the unoffendable. That's our goal anyway. How many of you are still working that out with me? Still working that out? Easier with some issues, easier with some people than others. But we don't have an option. Jesus, you know, the only time Jesus got really, really like, whoa, dude, where's the love gone? 
is over the issue of unforgiveness. I mean, after he taught the Lord's Prayer, you know, he went back, of all the things, man, it's so exciting, your kingdom come, your will be done, all this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then he goes on, he comes back to that line. He goes, because you do understand, right, that if you don't forgive the sins of others, your Father won't forgive you your sins. Whoa! What happened to unconditional love, Jesus? What happened to all unconditional forgiveness? And look, there is a way. There are spiritual laws in effect. This is a sowing and reaping thing. If you extend mercy, you receive mercy. If you extend judgment, you receive judgment. Not from the Lord, it's just how life works. There's just no way around this thing. So we stay offended at a group of people and God help us if we get like Jonah and say, well man, if God would ever want me to minister to somebody who's like that, you fill in the like that. Those people, whoever they might be for you. If we get so offended that we won't go to them, well here we are now and we are Jonah. We are the unwilling prophet. We're the one who's carrying the word of life. We're carrying the, the thing that can set them free. Some prayer was being offered up before service, and uh, I think it was Bell Ann was praying about um, that there are some people that are just plain old deceived. You know, I got it comes down, this whole abortion thing always came down to one thing for me. Either you really are demonic to the core, or you're ignorant. If you would see what they do in those second and third trimester abortions and you're still adamantly pro-choice, as they called it, I would say you're just pro-abortion. I, I think you got something really broken or you're so deceived, <clears throat> you're so caught up in a bubble. And isn't that exactly what Paul said? For the God of this age has blinded them. And that's how it, I, I'll urge you to choose to believe that first. You must be deceived. Something must have happened to wrap your mind up in some kind of stronghold. To look at, you know, my Benjamin when he was born at 24 weeks. You can see those pictures now. I mean, there are whole movies about from the blastocyte all the way on through. You can see the entire day-by-day development, all 40 weeks of pregnancy. You can see every bit of it. You can't tell me that's a clump of tissue, man. So for us to extend love to go, which means if somebody's in, how many know we, we don't just go to a city like Nineveh. We're surrounded by Ninevites. People that are still walking in darkness, that still worship the gods that they grew up under. They don't know there's another way yet. They haven't seen yet. The God of this age has blinded them. And so mercy triumphs over judgment when we predetermine, even though I think that your belief is downright evil. I'm still gonna find it in me because Christ in me feels this way about you. I'm gonna find it in me to extend good news to you because God's favorite response to that thing that you believe is to open up, to turn on the lights so that you can repent and receive his love and his mercy. And I won't be the obstacle to that. You know, in the end with Jonah's story, I really believe this and... um, I don't know if scholars do or not. I don't count myself in that company. But 10 years before Assyria invaded Israel, God sends a prophet to the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh. You know the end of the story. Jonah prophesies probably, he's probably out there like, ah, repent or God's gonna burn your city. 
I don't think there was a passion in his voice, like a pleading, come to the altar and excited about the altar's filled. I think he said, oh man, you better repent or you know, I'm going to blow it up or something like that. I think he was preaching like that. All of a sudden, the king tears his robes. He commands the entire city, sackcloth and ashes. We're going to make sacrifices. What else do we got to do to satisfy this God? We believe the message and we repent. The entire city, I don't know, maybe a million people or ever big uh, Nineveh was at that day. They're all repenting of their gods and crying out to God for forgiveness. I've got to believe that God sent the prophet to that city to forestall an invasion that they were about to do. And Jonah's response even to God's mercy to them. He was still hard in his heart. Dude saw the whole city come to repentance. He sits up on the hill waiting for fire and brimstone. And he's popcorn going, man, I'm just waiting. Come on, when's it coming? And God had to rebuke him. And at the end of the story, you know, for Jonah, there's no good news at the end for Jonah. Don't be Jonah, right? That's, that's the word of the Lord. Don't be Jonah. Because at the end of the day, God was willing to show mercy. And he said to him, this is why I didn't want to go. He says this in chapter two, I, I, uh, chapter three. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew you were merciful and you were probably going to forgive them. But how many of you know we can become so hard in our hearts that we're so eager for God's judgment to fall on the ones we're offended with that we forget we have good news. We have mercy in us. We have experienced a God who showed mercy to us long before we deserved it. And that's the good news we preach. So when evil increases, our responsibility is to guard our hearts Jesus said, because of the increase of evil, the love of many will grow cold. He didn't say the faith of many will grow cold. Faith could be strong and love could be gone. You know, we could live like that, right? That was Jonah. He knew what God said. He didn't lose his ability to hear the voice of God. He just forgot that it's all about love and it's all about relationship, which is why, contrary to how David repented, David said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. When he messed up, Jonah said, I'm gonna get as far away from your presence as I can. Where's the next boat to Tarshish? Or however you pronounce that. <laughs> so when evil increases around us, when we see the manifestation of evil, who else has been crying out to God for their entire adult life that God would expose darkness? Anybody else? This, it's happening, do you see it? It's happening right before our eyes. God's exposing things that have been done in secret. Now they're right out in the light. Then comes the choice, right? We pray our nation makes the choice to do something and repent of the evil that's been revealed. But this is a great day and a great hour. But if our love's grown cold, we're not gonna go after the harvest that is ripe. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Remember where they were when Jesus said the words, lift up your eyes and behold, for the fields are white unto harvest. Do you know where they were? They were in Samaria. Who in Israel loved the Samaritans but Jesus at that time? I mean, the chosen, the, 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 the series has really brought this out well. They're like, wait, wait, wait. Can we walk around Samaria? I mean, Jesus chose the Samaritan to be the hero of the good Samaritan, right? It wasn't the good Jew. It was the good Samaritan. Why? He wanted to offend them with the truth that, look, if they show righteousness, they act more like I want you guys to act than you act. You think you're something because you're the chosen. This guy acted like God, and he did it on purpose. 
He was in that place where he said, guys, you gotta look. You gotta have a change of vision right now. Lift up your eyes and look, because you see Samaritans. You see those who forsook God and worshiped idols and set up their own temple, contrary to the temple in Jerusalem. I'm so glad. I think Jesus has a line in The Chosen where he said, were any of you even alive when that happened? Some of us are offended at people that did things before we were even born. And, 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 and he said to them, you got to look at them differently. I want you to put on Jesus goggles for a minute because you're looking at these people wrong. I want you to see a field white to harvest, a field of people that are ripe for salvation, a people who are eagerly awaiting Messiah and longing and yearning with everything in them to know that God's not this wrathful rejecter like the Jews have been to us, but God's different than that. If you look at them differently, you're gonna see what I see, and that's a harvest ready to be brought in where the fruit's fallen off the vine. I'm telling you, we're in those days right now. I'm telling you, we're in those days. Wake up, Jonah. Wake up, Jonah. Don't be so depressed and sleeping in a storm. So, so they woke him up. They cast lots. They figured out, there's a guitar pick here. They, they figured out, it's Jonah. You're the reason why we're in the storm. Dude, what God do you worship? I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven and earth. And then it went, oh, no, we're all going to die. What do you need to do? They became frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? How could you do this, they said to him. They had a revelation somehow that Jonah being responsible for this, that he made a decision of some sort. Like, well, whatever you did, and then you got on this boat with us, now we're all in the same boat, and we're all going to die because you ran away from God? I mean, even a pagan was like, that was stupid. I mean, if he's really a God, where are you going to hide, man? You thought on our boat? Why'd you get on our boat? Go on someone else's boat. I don't want to die in a storm because you were dumb and you said no when God said go. So they're like, oh, what are we going to do? The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them, what, what, how, how hard does your heart need to be when you brag about the fact that you're running away from God? He's on the boat. Oh, who are you? Where are you from? My name's Jonah. Oh, what's your, why do you want to go to Tarshish? Oh, I want to get away from God. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard heart right there, but let's not for a minute believe that not, we can't get to that place. And it, it, for Jonah, it began in the place of offense or whatever else might have been going on in his life. When we find ourselves in a place where it doesn't even move our heart that we're running away from God, that's a really good moment to repent. And if we don't, we can continue on in Jonah's story because dude never got it. We carry the gift of life. We have the gift of life on the inside of us. When we forsake our call to minister the kingdom, everyone around us suffers. We have a responsibility, saints. You have a responsibility if you're watching this at home and on video. We have a responsibility. What happens in our nation is determined by the head, not the tail. Who is the head, not the tail? The people of God. If the church doesn't follow after the Lord, if the Lord says, I'm going to Nineveh right now, who's coming with me? And we say, not us, we're going this way. And you can say whatever, whatever Tarshish means to you. It could be the place where I'm just going to go prosper. I'm going to make my own way. This boat could represent, this is the boat of dead religion. I'm just going to go through the motions, but I'm not following, I'm not with the Lord anymore. I'm just going and I'm going to make my own way now as a prophet. Uh, you're going to be a non-profit soon, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go that way. 
But everyone around us suffers because we carry the gift of life. Don't believe the lie. Don't, it is an absolute, well, it's a lie. Don't believe the lie. If I don't do this, somebody else will. That's no way to respond to the voice of the living God. We were just singing this song, and I don't know if you got caught up like I did. Whenever we sing that holy, 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 and join with the heavenlies, I really just feel caught up with them. We were just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels added, the whole earth is filled with his glory. If we believe that, how can, you, how can we look God in the face and say, you're holy, you're amazing, but I'm not gonna go with you if you're going there. The call to go, the call to minister, especially applies to those that we don't really wanna go to. I'm challenging you, and I believe this is a word of the Lord also for us here at Hillside, that the Lord's gonna be putting people in front of us that normally we'd be offended with. And by offended, I don't mean like I'm mad at you. Offensive could mean like, you know, I know some folks who really struggle with being around a homeless person who hasn't bathed in a few days. And the smell is offensive enough to keep someone away. Or I'm offended by that language that person uses, so I keep away from people like that. Or I'm offended at fill in the blank. Offended by simply means you make me stumble, you make me want to sin, and I'm gonna keep a safe distance from you. I believe the Lord's gonna be putting opportunities in front of us, and we're gonna have a Jonah choice to make. Because the Lord's saying, I'm going here. See that broken life right there? I'm, I'm right there. If we live as those who see what the Father is doing, and our goal in life is to join him in it, it means he's gonna take us places where we find people who are just like we were before we met him. Because that's the reality of it. I have a sign in my office, a friend of mine got for me after I shared this quote I heard, uh, don't judge somebody just because they sin differently than you do. And that's usually how it goes, right? My sins are all right. Yours, oh. I forgot, I shared my testimony at the church in Boston, and there was a woman there who was really offended at you know, my sexual sins that I used to be in, and, and she kept away from me. She was like, ew, I'm like, anyway, you pervert, I'm anywhere near you. I'm like, I'm not like that anymore. I'm saved, I'm not that, that's the old Steve. I'm sharing the redemption story, not the current Steve story, and, you know, but, but that's it. God's gonna send us to places that we normally would not wanna go. I urge you, say yes before the leaving tells you where he's going, say yes, because I want to be with you. Because wherever the Lord's going, that's where his presence is. Sometimes we feel a distance from God. It's not because he left us ever. You understand that, right? It's because God said, I'm going this way. And we, if we say we're going this way, we're going in the wrong direction. He didn't leave us. We left him. So the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Here's his mercy. In the middle of the storm, they throw the man overboard, and, and this, this is a funny moment. I wish uh, somebody's got to make a good movie about this. They throw him overboard, right? And then the seas get calm. And they're all standing there in stunned silence. Like, wow, that worked. Should we throw him a, a life jacket or something? Should, you know, should we pull him back in the boat? And just as they're starting to tell them, hey, that worked. That's great. Come on back in the boat. This fish comes along and he's gone. I don't know, man. I, you know, there's so many people that avoid this book because he survived three days in the belly of a fish. That's impossible. But Jesus said, and this is how we know it's not a parable, as some scholars say it is, because Jesus said, no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah. Man could be three days dead in a tomb and come out alive. Man could be in the belly of a fish for three days. That's just my theory. I'm going to stick with that one. 
I'm sticking with Jesus on this. Three days in that fish, and in the middle of that fish, he, he began to have an encounter with God. How many of you know? <laughs> God loved him too much. That was the sign of God's mercy. The storm, three days in a fish, that was God's mercy to Jonah. It probably didn't feel like mercy at the time. You know, we've got to be really careful discerning the source of the storm. Because not all storms are of demonic origin. Most of them are in the scriptures, right? It's a storm. Paul's on the boat. There's a storm. Jesus gets on a boat. There's a storm. Seems like, man, if I lived in that day, I would never get on a boat with any of them. I'll walk. I'll, I'll take a donkey or something. I'll meet you on the other side. Because I know you're in a boat, there's going to be a storm. There are no stories of smooth sailing in the Bible. Do you know that? There's no such thing as a story where people get in a boat and they just go to the other side. It doesn't happen. Anyway, that's a side issue. Storms are not always of demonic origin. Sometimes it's God's love. As uh, Bob Mumford used to say, if uh, you you find yourself in a fix, it might just be that God's fixing a fix to fix you. And a fix means a bad situation if you're younger. He's fixing a fix to fix you. In other words, you're going the wrong way. God loves you too much to see you go off that cliff. He loves you too much to miss out on the opportunity that's in front of you to partner with him and bring in the kingdom of heaven and a life, to see a life, a city, a region, a nation transformed. He loves us too much to let us miss out. So yeah, welcome the storm. Embrace that storm. And instead of being like Jonah, I don't know, I don't know because the story's not written this way and it's not what happened, but I wonder if Jonah on that boat would have just said, God, would you please forgive me? Clearly, I thought I could get away from you and clearly here you are in the middle of this storm. I mean, dude stayed quiet while they were drawing lots. He knew who it was gonna fall to. Jonah knew exactly why this boat was in a storm. He's a prophet for crying out loud. He knows what's going on and he stayed quiet and cowardly, he made them have to take action to turn his life back. He just kind of threw himself out there. The man was in that spiritual depression of being separate from God and running away from God, and and he did that. So sometimes we just need to realize God's not taking no for an answer. Why are we in the storm right now? Because God didn't accept our resignation. We tried to say, I'm done, and God said, no, we're not done. I am not letting you go on this call. I love you too much and I'm not letting you go. So here's a reality for us, and I'm speaking to all of us who are in a storm right now, and this may be you. <laughs> That's today, and I wanna pray for you in just a minute. Jonah in the fish, he said, he's talking about all the stuff that happened, very poetically describing how horrible it is, the situation is in. Verse four, he says, so I said, I said, I have been expelled from your sight. I said, I have been expelled from your sight, but nevertheless, I will look again to your holy temple. I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Boy, what a manipulative lie that is. God didn't expel you from his sight. You done expelled yourself from his sight. You made a choice to go away from where God was going. He didn't leave you. He didn't forsake you. God's promise is true. God is not a man that he should repent or a son of man that he should lie. Then I flip that around. He just doesn't do that. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I believe that's why David phrased it the way he did in the 23rd Psalm. When he said, surely your goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of our life. That's a good truth to remember when in front of us 
is this howling wind and waves. When there's a storm swirling all around us, we can't even see God, much less his goodness, in the middle of that. To remember that if I'm facing something right now, either I'm taking territory for the kingdom, and like Jesus, I'm in a boat in a storm because I'm moving forward into the will of God. Or, this is why discernment's so important, I'm looking at a storm right now because God's behind me going that way. And if I just turn, repent, if I just turn, whoa, the sun's shining, and there's Jesus, and okay, yeah, Nineveh it is. Nineveh it is. I'll go to Nineveh. You don't have to stick me in the belly of a whale for three days. Can you imagine be the fisherman on the shore? when I, It says the whale vomited him out of its mouth. That's just nasty. I mean, three days in a fish anyway is nasty. Then the fish goes, spits him up on the shortness. And I always picture this. Maybe I should just do VeggieTale type. They're fishing, and all of a sudden this prophet plunks on the sand next to him. He's got seaweed out the side of his head, and he smells like fish. And they're all like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. And then he, so who are you? I'm Jonah. And the Lord says, repent. Oh, but they were on their face instantly. I'll repent. <laughs> okay, tell me about this God. It was just a good setup for preaching, but, but he shows up on the shore. He goes and preaches God's mercy even to Jonah. Tarried with the man. This is such a great story for all of us who are unwilling. If Todd's word touched you last week, Jonah is your book. If you keep saying no to God, the mercy of God's coming. He will get you to the place he wants you to be by the shortest route we're willing to travel. Did you know that about God? That was Leo Nert who used to say that. So we could go in a straight line, follow the Lord, stay right behind him. Just, just that's all that life is about. I'm just going to stay with you. Wherever you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people, my people. You're my God. Of course I'm going to stay with you. Or we go through this loopy, windy, you know, the, you ever seen the updated version of the Footprints poem? You know that poem? Came out in the 70s. Unlike the Ten Commandments, which was already out for much longer than that. that. Dude, that made me feel really old when you said that last week. Ten Commandments, Charlton Hesse came out in the 80s. I was in high school, college in the 80s, and it was an old movie then. <laughs> that, that poem, you know, it's basically the, the guy had a dream, he's walking on the beach with the Lord, and he's seeing scenes of his life, and there's two footprints in the sand, him and Jesus, and then he noticed that during the times in his life when, uh, you know, it got stormy and it got dark, he noticed there's only one set of footprints in the sand, and he goes, well, how could you abandon me at a time like that? He said, son, I didn't abandon you, it was then that I carried you. And there's an add-on to that. And you see those long streaks in the sand? That's where I carried, I dragged you kicking and screaming because I didn't want you to miss out on what I had for you. And you kept saying, I'm not going another step. No! And sometimes we get drugged into the will of God. Is that the right past tense of drag? Dragged? Drag, drug, dragged. You think as an English major, I'd remember that. He will do it. If it takes a fish, if it takes dragging us into it, he does not want us to miss out on his plan. So it just got one very simple word. The word of the Lord is don't be Jonah. Just turn around. There's another Bob Mumford picture I'll leave you with. He had a vision one time in his own life when he was doing a Jonah with the Lord. And he had this dream vision. And he was petting a, he saw a hand petting a cat from head to tail, which is the only way they'll let you do it, right? From head to tail. And then he saw the hand started going the other way from back to front. You ever try to do that? You get one swipe, right? And then... God knows what's going to happen next. But he started petting the cat the back to front way, and the cat's all going like this. And then he heard a voice. Turn around, kitty. 
Turn around, kitty. I'm going this way. If you don't like this, turn around. And it'll be just like it was before. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the joy of serving you. Thank you for even being able to laugh at the life of a prophet who, in this stage of his life at least, got it all wrong and learned from it. Make us a people who are so full of your love, so full of your mercy, so full of compassion, that when we look at the Ninevites, as it were, our hearts are broken, not offended. Break our hearts for those who are living outside of your love right now, the experience of your love. Break our hearts for those who can't see through the veil that's been put over their eyes how amazing you are and what a joyful, life-filled life it is to serve you. Would you give us your heart? Put your hands on your heart, would you? Put your hands on your heart and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me the people that I've been avoiding because I'm offended by them? because there's something about them that repulses me or just makes me uncomfortable or fearful. Would you break my heart for those the way that your heart's broken? Make me like you. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Make me the same willing vessel. Lord, I pray that you would give uh, the ability, give, give the gift of repentance and put us in remembrance of opportunities we've missed. Lord, don't send a fish. Don't send a storm. Soften our hearts so that we just turn on our own will and say, yeah, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Nineveh. You don't have to ask again. Show us who it is. Show us where it is. Show us what it is. And we say, Lord, before we even know, our answer is yes. Yes, we will go. Yes, we will love. Yes, we will extend ourselves the way you extended yourself to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, enjoy your uh, processing all that with the Lord, and I can't wait to see the fruit of what it's going to look like when the church is out there and in the middle of Nineveh. I love you guys. Have a great uh, picnic, barbecue, whatever you're doing tomorrow to celebrate this nation, and uh, I love you guys, and I'll see you again soon. Amen.